0: And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/slash awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. Bye Baby,
1: bye Baby, I am bye Baby, I am Bra
2: Baby. Oh, yeah, baby. I am brown baby. I am brown baby. I am. I am.
1: Welcome to Brown Baby, a podcast about parenting, hosted by me, Nikesh Shukla. I am a writer and a dad of two. I recently wrote the memoir, Brown Baby, a memoir of race, family and home. And I also recently spent my Saturday evening unblocking unblocking a toilet that both my daughters had flooded with tag team number twos. How do we raise our kids to be joyful in a world that seems so so bleak and we're so sad and angry about it? This is a question I explore in this podcast and it's inspired by my memoir, Brown Baby, a memoir of race, family and home. Each week I like to invite fellow parents of brown babies, writers, musicians, chefs, comedians, actors and more to talk about their parenting journeys and the highs and lows they've experienced along the way. A frank and funny look at parenting it will hopefully spark self-effacing conversations about how we tell our kids about the world. Featuring parenting fails plus the best and worst advice me and my guests have ever received this is hopefully the comforting uplifting podcast for anyone who's ever found themselves searching for answers in a sleep deprived google hole. This week my My guest is my friend and also one of my favourite authors of all time and I'm very lucky to call him a friend. Hari Kunzru, he is one of the smartest and bravest writers I know, always willing to take risks, push boundaries and write novels that ask big questions about the way the world is. He is the author of White Tears and Gods Among Men and My Revolutions but also most recently and most importantly Red Pill, a novel about why we make art, far right radicalization, and paranoia. It is a tense and unsettling novel about a writer on a retreat who meets the creator of a cop show that he realizes is red pilling his audience. It's a brilliant novel. I really, really recommend it. I sat down with Hurry to chat about internet usage in our kids, how we talk to them about what's going on in the world today, and whether Gone Off Melon is a suitable snack for a child just a few notes about the episode one is that we recorded it last november and this was the first episode i recorded for this run so some of the references to lockdown refer to the end of 2020 also number two hurry's new book red pill is out now i've included a link to the book in the show notes it's a bookshop.org affiliate link i am an affiliate of bookshop.org and each sale they give half the money to independent bookshops and a tiny amount to me so please buy Hurry's amazing book and please buy my memoir, Brown Baby, as well. This is the penultimate episode in season one, where well, we'll definitely be back for season two. I've already started recording those episodes and I've got some real corkers. But for now, please welcome Hurry Kunzru. Thank you for joining us, Hurry Kunzru. How are you?
2: Not bad, not bad. Bit pandemious, if that's a word. But, uh, you know, a bit, a bit nervous here in, in New York today about how things are going. I think we're about to have schools shut again and we're about to, to not be able to go out to most places.
1: Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're we're on the knife edge over here as well. What's weird is we're recording this in sort of mid-November and it's going to come out in January, February. So do you have any message for your for future hurry? <laughs>
2: um, yeah, just keep pacing yourself like you have done so far. I mean, we've done all right like in the nine months of this or whatever's been going on but mainly that's involved like uh quite a lot of just sort of low-key self-care and uh and i mean the the pact has been that my wife and i allow ourselves as much doom scrolling as we need (laughs) (laughs) you know before that there was like a could you put your phone away and now nobody ever says could you put your phone away because everybody understands that it's just too important
1: what's been your biggest childcare concession during lockdown
2: um i think a lot of a lot of uh just small presents for the kids actually that's what's that's what's kept them going because they haven't been able to socialize so much and um so yeah weekends there's often, you know, mum or dad just produces a large Lego or something like that to to keep the faith. There's been a bit more <laughs> uh, uh, a bit more movie as well than before.
1: The big question that I have for you, and it's probably a very big question, and we won't start off with it, but it's how do, how do we find joy in these times? Um, and and I guess the starting point for me with this was um, halfway through lockdown, I read Red Pill, and I think there the are two books i've read this year that i think i just needed to read at the la- the right time there was leave the world behind by roman alam and red pill and and red pill i think i read not long after i'd read Zadie Zadie smith's essay in intimations uh, something to do where she was talking about the sort of the horror that she was fine feeling about um her husband and children seeing what she does all day <laughs> and <laughs> and certainly at the certainly at the start of red pill we have a writer in um, in the current day, in sort of a version of the current day, just had a child, and fit. Fe- they, they feel purposeless. You know, as as an artist, as a writer, as as a person, they feel quite aimless and purposeless. And and I've I certainly felt that having having a child. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about about that sense of purposelessness that sometimes in 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 you know when big political events are happening, and we're we're kind of you know also doing that sort of small-scale survivalist mode of raising children how that as creatives purpose purpose suddenly seems to fly out the window
2: yeah i mean for me it was i mean having a becoming a dad was was actually quite surprisingly useful in a way because um i've been very very focused on wanting to be a writer and then you know and then uh, when as I got older and actually was working and making writing a lot of my sense of self-worth was invested in how that was going and whether I thought the work I was making was good and and then suddenly you have a kid and and that all sort of goes out of the window because there's there's something that just relativizes all your quite narcissistic thoughts about your your career. And I mean, I had a very weird uh, moment in, um, it wasn't actually in the delivery room, I think it was in the recovery room. Uh, it was a snowstorm, very bad weather outside, a very hostile weather, and I'm holding my very fragile newborn baby. And I just had a, a conversation with my agent who said that my editor didn't like what I'd, I'd done. And I was kind of counting on this, uh, I was basically counting on some money for the sort of piece of writing that i'd done in order to kind of start this new phase of life off, so I was very uh immediately in this sort of situation of crisis where i was I was looking to provide for my new family, and the means of doing that had suddenly been at least temporarily taken away um, and so you know for a while my purpose was really just to kind of hold it together to keep on just being able to you know keep our little ship more or less afloat and as you know as when you're a new parent sleep is hard to come by and it's very hard to concentrate when you know and especially it's very hard to write and and kind of keep your keep your thoughts all together if you're on three hours of of sleep and so um you know for for a while i did get really really worried that i'd somehow just basically not only trashed my career from the point of view of of like making good work but i'd actually trash my ability to earn a living so somehow, somehow it was all going to be one <laughs> uh one big disaster but gradually it all it all came together and the thing that i really found is that although i had much much less time and still do have much much less time than previously in order to to work because there's that urgency every time i sit down because i know i have an hour or i have you know a, a limited time before i have some other obligation then stuff just has to get done i mean i look back and think of the days and weeks and months that i spent just kind of you know drifting uh, it seems very shocking to me and actually in terms of r- raw productivity I have been probably more productive in the last few years as a parent than I was in the few years just before. But you have to be nice to yourself, um and you but you have to also I don't know, a lot a lot for me is also as I kind of remind myself how much worse virtually everybody else has it. I'm a very lucky guy and uh and uh if ever I'm tempted to moan, that uh, that always reminds me that I should just pull myself together.
1: Yeah, well, welcome to this podcast episode where where two male writers, without full time jobs, talk about finding time to write their books. <laughs> uh, as as um, as someone who spends a lot of time researching, and you know, you you'll spend a lot of time working with archival material, reading a lot around the things that you're you're really fascinated with. Um, actually doing the work of visiting places H- how do you how do you maintain that level of immersion in the things that you're interested in while also having two children who demand your not not just your physical presence but your emotional presence
2: well I mean travel is one thing that really has changed and I can't I can't claim to be able to do that in the way that I I used to and I suppose also I I, w- I was lucky in I'd done a lot of of solo traveling and a lot of um uh I'd been on I'd taken myself on a lot of adventures and so when it when the children arrived I was content enough not to be able to do that anymore because you know it wasn't like I had a massive bucket list of 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 places and you know for a while even kind of getting to the shops was pretty challenging I mean it's still it's it's still sort of a performance to get everybody into a you know out on a walk or into a car or whatever it would be but they're getting a bit older now and um I have a I mean I do actually have a full-time job weirdly I'm a I'm a I'm a professor at New York University and one of the the things that I have to do my wife is also a professor at New York University and um we teach in Paris every summer and so that's become our kind of bridge back into into sort of the the rest of the world as so though we we transport the family there and the kids have their little places and their routines and and their kind of regular scene in Paris and they're beginning to be of an age where now we could start thinking of doing more adventurous things and I, I know I hope at one point to be you know hiking with my son and daughter you know up some extraordinary mountain and you know maybe that's a A year or two away in the future
1: he'll still be playing his nintendo switch moaning about the lack of wi-fi probably um one of the things that um one of the things that i think about a lot is my online presence and how not you know not not in the way that my my children might grow up and discover that i had once had an online presence but how that kind of negatively impacts my interactions with them you know both of us are writers who kind of talk a lot about politics and that often attracts the ire of certain people online and you know I'm I'm someone who 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 has been doxxed in the past and 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 had my details put online by by very nasty people and it, it kind of it makes me think a lot about the internet and about privacy and privacy is something that comes up a lot in red pill and I just I wonder if that's something that you you think about in relation to your your children and your own Internet usage and, and the sort of the sort of crazy dark places that that sometimes takes you to.
2: Yeah, I think there are I mean, there are various layers to that. There's a very practical layer in that, you know, we've decided there's no pictures of our children on the Internet. I mean, I did. I think I did a couple of kind of newborn ones when, you know when i was still using facebook i've sort of stopped using facebook i haven't actually pressed delete on the account but i haven't used it for a very long time and we put no no images of them up um and i actually found that it's also not great on twitter for example even to mention having children there's always somebody who says something unpleasant and 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 it wounds me terribly like to have any anything to do with my kids involved with that I don't mind getting into a certain amount of rough and tumble I mean you're the same you know if it's a question of arguing the toss about some social or political point I will sometimes express myself very intemperately and then people will be intemperate back but at the same time I have also avoided uh, stirring certain sorts of hornet's nests especially the sort of outrighty kind of hornet's nests where people will come and 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 dox you or whatever i mean you know i'm not hard to find i'm a fairly you know it's, it's it's fairly kind of straightforward to to work out where i am and uh um and so far such wood things have been fine but but yeah i mean you're completely aware that that things could spiral out of control and and put your loved ones at risk and that's always on your mind whenever you're interacting with anybody sort of who seems like they might be unstable I mean I'm much better at walking away than I used to be like I I kind of I no longer need to have the last word
1: (laughs) yeah well I mean this this is the thing about that last word It, it never happens you know I'm still watching people in my twitter mentions today arguing about a thing that i tweeted about and I haven't actually responded to three days ago um and it is, it is that the embodiment you see see in action the embodiment of that tony morrison quote about how racism is a distraction that keeps you doing the thing that you're meant to be doing there's always one more thing and one more thing and one more thing because its function is to distract you i re- just to kind of stay on the kind of the internet thing because i think it's something that you 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 you're really, you, you write so fascinatingly about I remember um, about four or five years ago, five, or maybe a bit longer, actually, probably about eight years ago, there was there, there was this sort of growing trend amongst um, people my age who were having kids to to set up Facebook accounts uh, for their children from the day they were born and get everyone to add photos of that child as they grew, so that there would be like this growing digital archive of these children. And I always I really remember at the time feeling incredibly uncomfortable with this idea that kids would be growing up and then they would be presented this Facebook account of like the first 16 years of their lives and which they would have had no control over. Um, do, do, do you find that people still, still tend to like use the internet in ways where they're not, I mean, obviously people are, aren't really considering their privacy. Otherwise none of us would have smartphones, but when it comes to um, how we speak about our children, how we, um, how we, are quite free and easy with images of our children and do, do you feel like people still need to be m- much more careful or do you think people are starting i, th- I to think the
2: culture it? has changed i mean i think that moment of oh let's have a facebook uh page for the newborn and it has passed i mean i mean people understand that facebook is a is a sort of ruthless harvester of personal information and uh it's not your friend in any way let alone um you know the place where you should keep your uh, your most emotional memories and also i think people have been more sophisticated about the difference between you know having those photos for your friends and family and and posting them in in places where where other other people could see them i mean i I think actually what I'm hearing, and 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 by talking to sort of like students that I have, I I realised that there was a sort of peak of oversharing that seems to have been a kind of millennial thing. You know, I'm a uh, I'm a you know grumpy old Gen Xer, sort of cynical and, and nasty and bitter about being part of a small demographic who nobody paid any attention to. There will never be a Gen X president of the United States. It turns out, <laughs> and. Then, you know, then came the millennials who, are, you know, all you kind of avocado toasters are, are, are uh, you know, were there in um, doing your doing your kind of uh, sort of flattering selfie angles and uh, and you're oversharing on the Internet. And the, the the little Gen Z kids are coming through now. And as far as I can see, they've all got strong crypto and they're involved in major street violence, <laughs> but keep, keeping themselves completely anonymous. So. I mean I think I think we're in a we're in a moment where the big internet companies don't feel like our friends. They feel like they are they are hostile, ruthless, you know, wielders of power and, and the game is to try and protect yourself and your personal space from them rather than to give in to their blandishments. You know, we use them all reluctantly. You know, here we are now speaking to each other on Zoom and we've you know, we've discovered that Zoom I mean, this week we discovered that Zoom has been lying about its uh, security procedures and there's all you know, all sorts of drama around Zoom, which has become such a sort of essential part of the infrastructure of everybody's lives in the pandemic. But I mean, certainly when it comes to differentiating between your friends and your public persona on the internet, I think we're you know, as the culture evolves we're we're much more sophisticated about it
1: uh, just you know just to go back a bit i, I am of i am a disputed generation are d- you not claiming millennial
2: status to. are you uh, I, i'm
1: 1980 which depending on uh, who you talk ooh. to is either the end of gen z or just about the beginning of uh, millennial I at this point, you know, the the difficulty it takes for, for me to 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 get up from a seated position. I, I guess I'm just with the Gen Z guys. But
2: <laughs> you mean just a Gen X? You're not not you're not a Z. The Z Gen is, X. Sorry. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: um, the but that that thing that thing of the the curated persona, I think, is really interesting because I think. Um, And I I wrote about this in in 2014 with my my second novel. I I wanted to kind of explore this idea of people who heavily curate their online personas at some point because of the kind of the messiness of our lives. They kind of have to enact those personas offline as well. And that kind of creates this sort of fascinating, fractured um, sense of their id. You know, like for for me, it, it felt like people were having these existential crises when it came to who they actually were, because um and now and now the the kind of the the other end of it is um it's kind of like a hyper reality because everything is everything is being live streamed and because everything is being live streamed people have to then perform to the live stream
2: yeah i mean that's that's also the whole kind of uh real-time streaming thing i mean certainly here uh we're also we're also seeing increasing sophistication about that like six months ago a year ago people would happily live stream their experience of a protest and and now that everybody has been beaten and arrested by the mypd the idea of live streaming is has gone again like you know activists are very very certain they they post clips they post edited clips people are good at, you know People are good at pointing the camera down towards people's feet, or, fi- or or filming from behind, and so on. So the kind of the always-on live streaming, which seemed uh, like the like the way forward, has also found its limits. You know, of course, for certain sorts of people, the kind of you know the, the influencer culture that's grown up, um, you know, the more sh- you know, oversharing actually actually is sort of productive. You know, the the, the it, it's the it's the the slightly um daring feeling level of sharing that kind of gets engagement and and that kind of drives them forward but that only works for a very a very kind of small number of people and you know there's nothing there's nothing sadder than the kind of wannabe influencer who's in the middle of some real emotional situation and all they can think of is the is the right angle to present themselves you know i mean you've seen endless pictures of of like here i am in front of the fire here i am in front of the riot here i am in front of you know the the car crash and that that is uh that's a kind of you know you 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 kind of feel that you're you're looking at people who are no longer able to feel to, to experience the world in an unmediated way but Yeah, but we're also taking the piss out of those people because the culture is adapting to their bad habits and is teaching people why that's wrong so it's you know it's a very fluid situation
1: and it it makes me think a lot about how i'll be when my children might want to have internet presences or or go online with you know with uh, free of the confines of me kind of looking over their shoulders and, you know, like in that way that that, um, you know, as children get older, they they want to kind of push out the boundaries of uh, of, of their physical space. Uh, but also their digital spaces is, you know, so much more exponential. And I obviously I don't know the way all of this stuff is going to go, but I, I start to worry, you know, my, my kids already asking me about wanting to wanting to build like personas on different apps for schools and so that kind of that idea of online curation is already starting for her
2: i mean i'm i'm at a funny moment my son is seven and he's been doing online school for months so now he's very comfortable so he sits all day in front of a screen he's begun to use the chat with his friends as the as the class is is going on and sometimes the teachers are encouraging them to put questions in the chat and so on and but he's also aware that you can look stuff up. I mean, you know, he he knows that when he asks me questions, I tend to kind of hit my phone and then come up with an answer for him. And so he wants to be able <laughs> to do that. And you know, they were doing Egyptian mythology, and and he just starts typing in Isis, and uh, he <laughs> oh god, <laughs> um, uh, so. You know, I mean, and he—he's quite—he's—he self-regulates. He's like—he's—he understands his sort of emotional and spiritual limits in a certain way, and he will kind of take himself away from things that scare him or, or whatever. But trying to explain to him, as you know, he, me and his mum have been doing, that there are things that he just doesn't want to see out there. You know, and I've—I've I've put on all the parental controls or whatever on on the the iPad, and so his. But he's, you know, basically, I'm, I'm. He's trying to search when no one's watching him, and I'm cool as long as I'm kind of ambiently there, or we're, you know, we're helping him with something. But, you know, it's, it's coming up. I don't, I don't know what happens when, when he starts seeing sort of sexual images, and that becomes something that we have to explain. I mean, already in his real world, he's had to deal with the pandemic, and he's had to deal with, uh, basically, learning a lot about police violence here in. New York he um you know dad what does i can't breathe mean like why have we got a picture of this woman Brianna Taylor in in our window i mean and and i've had to kind of explain to him some very hard and difficult things about about people in authority and the political situation but i mean it's um i i certainly w- worry about how all that stuff will hit him. I mean, I remember when I, I first saw upsetting imagery and, and pornographic imagery, you know, and I was sort of too young to really fully handle it. And it was very sort of jarring and, and upsetting in a way. And of course, you know, you, you don't want that for your child. You want you want to protect them and, and, and keep them safe. But I, I think given that that's not really ultimately possible, the best that I can do is be present and and non-judgmental enough that he can come to me and say i saw this or you know i'm i've i went to this place and and it it was messed up so yeah i'm nervous about all that and uh and it's kind of it's just beginning
1: yeah because long long gone are the days when you could just look up penis in the encyclopedia that was part of the family bookshelf if if you if you had one of those, um, because you'd heard the word at school, exactly. um, it it everything everything seems so much more accessible, and that kind of it's it's great, but it's also terrifying because how do you then put limits on it, or how how do you how do you explain the limitations to to your kids? I, I haven't figured that out yet.
2: I mean, right now, I mean the thing you know, I'm trying to kind of let. I feel like my my parenting is partly letting him in letting him and to a lesser extent his little sister into just gradually letting them understand how bad it really is out there in the world, the things that people actually do to each other and the horrors that, that do exist. Um but just just keeping that very incremental and and uh you know, reminding them that the space they're actually in is is safe and that, that we are able by and large to protect them from the the bad things
1: well and that that brings us very nicely on to like the the sort of the central question of the, this episode because not long ago my my daughter came home from school she she goes to a school in bristol that um the name of the school is associated with colston and so they were having an entire school wide discussion about um, who Colston was and what that meant, and you know, looking at their curriculum in a, in a really lovely and engaging way. And she she came home one day and she asked me what the Bristol bus boycotts were. And you know, for those of you listening who don't know what the Bristol bus boycotts were, they you know, there were a huge piece of civil rights activism in this in the sixties uh, to do with you know racism and black people being a, being employed, well, not being employed by the, by the bus company. And you know, it's something that sort of played out not far from where I am. And I realised in explaining to my daughter what the Bristol bus boycott was, I'd have to explain to her what racism was. And I I, I explained it as, um, you know, I, I tried to explain it as there are some people who dislike other people because of the colour of their skin. And this was just a concept that that just did not make any sense to her in any way she she said I, d- I don't understand I don't understand what you're telling me you and, and and I found myself trying to trying to justify it or trying to empathize with some almost empathize with someone who might feel that way in order to explain to her why yeah. someone might be racist and I realized in that moment that I was being intellectually dishonest with her because I was doing I she was right it is a nonsense concept it you know it fundamentally doesn't make any sense and actually I'm i'm projecting my own cynicism and jadedness about it all onto the conversation when actually i needed to come down to her level and and in that moment i kind of realized that there there is a way forward for um talking to your kids about all of these things without kind and leaving your cynicism at the door um if you are to kind of prepare them for the way the world is
2: yeah i mean it, it's a huge question at, at the moment um I mean, it if and it and it very much depends on the kind of context that you're you're able to bring your children up in. I mean, I'm in a I'm in Brooklyn, my children are attending schools where uh they have authority figures who are not white, they have uh they're in classes where there it's there's not a clear single dominant race. And so actually it's it's quite it's not part of their lived experience to 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 see to see themselves as minorities or to see to see kind of non non non-white people as as othered or as as minorities so the kind of the notion that that is has been historical norm is is uh isn't intuitively real to them and i got very nervous um when uh, one of the schools was proposing the a, a very radical kind of anti-racist program um for staff and 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 preschool students where they were intending to kind of divide people up racially and 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 i and I felt that was almost introducing these introducing these divisions into situations where and normalizing these divisions in situations where uh, in a situation where they weren't actually operating um and luckily we didn't have to kind of participate in that because i th- i think it was badly handled and ended up being very toxic particularly for the staff of that of that school but you know having said that we've also you know i mean there 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 were parts of the summer where there were stationary helicopters above our house and and um huge uh violent protests were going on pretty much at the end of the street i mean they were they were burning cars outside our local park the there i mean two two people are on trial for firebombing police cars outside our local police station so it's not like our kids can kind of step back and say oh you know there's there's nothing going on on here but um I've kind of watched my son begin to wrestle with the idea of race and identity. I mean, his own identity is very complicated. He's got a Japanese American mom and he's got me as his dad. And so he's being told things like, you know, grandpa grew up in India. Your grandma grew up in Japan. You're American. Your dad has an English accent. Um, (laughs) And, and he, you know, so he's, he's, you know, he's, 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 intrigued by this but the idea of 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 sort of i don't know people people who have always been in one place he's such a kind of product of migrations and he's in a cosmopolitan place so he has a very particular experience and i think he he's going to be fine he's having a much much better start than i did when i was you know i was the i was the lone little brown boy in a in a sort of sea of suburban whiteness and and um you know his experience is not going to be that experience and um but yeah i mean it's it's always the it kind of comes up in all sorts of things to do with with when you start talking about race and and racism is the you know are you reifying the thing that you're trying to get beyond you know by talking Mm. about it are you making it real you know And, and i and i wonder whether that is is happening for children in some places particularly in kind of majority white places where well-meaning liberal teachers are trying to talk about race to uh in this slightly abstract way to majority white classes and i i mean i think you know with the best will in the world that can go quite wrong i mean you see it go wrong around issues of of of, of gender identity as as well um and know one of my daughter at one point came back with a handout uh with a, a little alien saying that they didn't use he or she pronouns and i, I was like i'm not sure like an alien is actually the best <laughs> uh figure for for kind of normalizing trans people and anyway so yeah i mean we it's all it's all it's all a bit fraught and muddled and it's all culture war stuff and and you and i are both often you know dragged into the trenches of the of the culture war or you know dive in willingly but you know even <laughs> even for even for people who are engaged in these questions and do have time and space to think about them these aren't simple things and and i don't know for me it all it comes you know you you, you, could, you it comes down to saying quite cheesy things about love and about mutual respect and about the fact that ultimately all these kind of differences in identity don't matter because people People are people and they want the same things and, and deserve the same kind of rights and respect.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices.
3: Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question about preparing your children for the world that you live in, rather than the world that they can forge in their own image.
2: Absolutely, and
1: and I guess the re- reality is a messy space between those two two points. And I think that's that that's why I kind of floundered a little bit um, when I was talking to my my daughter about the the Bristol bus bus boycotts and and racism because. I realised I was very I was very willing to kind of share my, my perceptions uh, and my baggage about all of this stuff when actually she is growing up in a very multicultural part of a vel- very multicultural city, going to an inner city school where there are people from all manner of different backgrounds and therefore her world isn't my world. Yeah. Her world isn't growing up in, in a London suburb, going to a school that was predominantly white and feeling kind of weird about the whole thing and then ending up... Doing this book that kind of then made made me a national spokesperson for racism or something. I don't I don't know. Whereas you know she's just she's, she's just one the of, one of the biggest racists
2: in the whole country. That's you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. And
1: so I feel like I'm constantly treading that line, and I, I and I don't know I don't know what the right how, what how
2: to be in there. That there is there is that's no, the point of there is no way you know it's a daddy why is that man like that kind of you know thing. That's that's a universal experience of of. Parenting I guess I mean you know We, ha- we had an interesting Situation with Kind of uh, With my son And his ch- His friend Who comes from A church going family um, uh, Black Christian family uh, Having an argument About God And you know, and and and, it's like I'm listening to like Tiny Richard Dawkins kind of uh, (laughs) kind of (laughs) going into going into his friend, and he's like, "You don't seriously believe that, do you? How can you?" And his friend is just (laughs) just about, you know, also has 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 got a very sort of deep sense of of you know of, of divine creation, and and um, while I'm an atheist, and you know, ultimately intellectually i i'm you know totally on my son's side of that argument and that's why he's kind of spouting those particular opinions i also want him to kind of understand the pain that comes with disrespecting other people's uh you know beliefs and opinions and that that's something that one should do with caution and 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 you know a certain amount of uh, uh reticence let's say I mean, certainly, you know, one of one of the things that I I really found coming from the UK to the US is, you know, there is just a a lot more very seriously religious people around in the mix, and and um, there is a, a a sort of British culture of, uh, or certainly where you know when when and where I was growing up, there was a sort of British culture of sort of rough and tumble talk about all sorts of things that is not felt to be culturally appropriate here, especially around around religion and um and yeah so you're always you're always kind of trying to negotiate your actual beliefs about things which are you know maybe controversial or you know and and try not to like indoctrinate your children but also to kind of explain to them why you think what you think you know i mean it's it's a very sort of weird balancing act isn't it you know you want them to be able to come to conclusions for themselves and 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 to explore the world for themselves but at the same time you know there's a limit to that and uh, and at the same time you want to you know you don't want to kind of give them the wrong impression that you think everything is is you know one answer is as good as another because you do have sincerely held convictions and and uh again i imagine this is an absolutely universal experience of of parenting
1: tell me please because because i i I need to know (laughs) um how how do you maintain joy in 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 your children's eyes when everything feels as bleak as it kind of does you know it you know we are obviously recording this in in covid times and we don't know what i imagine by the time this podcast comes out it will still be there and you know what's happening with the culture wars, you know, with, you know, black people being, being killed by police and, um, the, the protests, you know, being on your doorstep, as it were, how, how, how do you maintain the levels of joy and happiness? And,
2: well, I think, I think we've, we've tried to kind of, um, make special times and special days. I mean, we've, we've, we're recording this in, in November and it's, uh, we just had Halloween and, um, here in, in my part of Brooklyn Halloween is a huge deal. I mean people come from other parts of the the city to do it here because there's a there's a bunch of houses where people really really go for it and so you end up with hundreds possibly thousands of children on the streets, you know, going from house to house getting candy and everybody's dressed up and it's a huge party and a very very exciting part of their year. And of course this year you can't really do trick or treating and and the kind of consensus was that I mean, people didn't go out. I didn't see, I didn't see any kids on the street. I saw a few houses with like candy in in bags, like hung on the fence or something. You know, kind of COVID safe ways of 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 of, of giving people sweeties. But so we decided to do Halloween inside, and and you know I'm sitting in the, the sort of homemade booth that I make that I do podcasting and stuff in, and that had to then become this uh that's the the wizard's game room and then you know downstairs in her bedroom um Katie my wife was you know the witch's tea party and then Kathy the sitter who lives downstairs she did sort of vampire story times they could go from place to place and get little gifts and, and have little experiences and they're young enough for that to be that to be a good thing and and they declared it the best halloween they'd ever had because actually they're sort of small enough for the, the big outdoor masses of people halloween is a bit overwhelming so that was a real success that was kind of turn you know taking lemons and turning it into lemonade but we've all you know we all go through phases i mean we had a very scary time here sort of march april i mean that was when it genuinely felt pretty pretty rough the the uh, sirens were going all night the numbers were very bad there was no you know it was it was at a point where we were still kind of uncertain about transmission vectors so we were having to do stuff like kind of bleach the packages that came through and all our food was uh, you know being delivered and what what have you and um, you know and you became very very aware of who ha- who who was able to stay in and shelter and who had to go out and work and those kind of class things became quite, Important in the city as well, and at that point, we we sort of could still make it kind of a an exciting like it's like playing forts or whatever. Like we made it, we made it like we're all gonna hide inside and you know have treats. And I was you know trying to find new kind of fun food that we could kind of have delivered, and we did lots of cooking. I mean, everybody went crazy for baking bread and that kind of thing. So we were we were like doing all that stuff to make it fun, and then over the summer we were able to relax a bit more and we had friends who were out of the city and who had been pretty much quarantined kind of upstate and uh, so we once a month or so we'd rent a car and go up and see them so that every so often there was a sort of pressure valve there was you know we we got to sit with a you know i got to sit and sort of actually talk to another adult and and you know the kids got to play with kids of their own age and that has sort of lasted us through up to this point and now they know exactly what's going on they know about covid they 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 put around in their masks and they do it the same as everybody else and it's just part of their everyday life and we've been lucky enough not to get sick so far so we haven't had that scariness um but yeah, I mean, it's it's pacing. It's it's kind of just making differences in your routine in order to not feel that the same thing is happening day after day. I don't know how it's been for you, but for me, it's like some mornings I wake up and I'm like, oh right, this is what's going to be again. You know, a day a day of uh, on the computer or on the Zoom, and then you know, a, a little a show a, a show before we go to bed, a bit of doom scrolling, and then go to sleep. You know, <laughs> it's. It's hard when when that kind of Groundhog Day thing takes over and that's when you have to shake it up. The, my,
1: my worst habit at the moment is um, just before bed, you know, I'll, I'll try and read before bed so I'm not looking at my phone, but then I obviously need the phone light to, to get me up the stairs and into bed, so I'll just doom scroll on the stairs on the way to bed and just hover, <laughs> hover for like 10 minutes before bed just, just at the top of the stairs on my phone. Um, just to finish up, uh, just a couple of quick fire things and then i'll I'll, I'll let you get back to, to your day but um what what has been your biggest parenting fail God, that you want a to good, share to that's the world?
2: you know i mean we've 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 had no huge accidents um i think i oh i think you know the thing I've, i do remember feeling very guilty about i kind of when when my son was very small um i remember kind of feeding him loads and loads of melon from the fridge and then realizing that it was it was like way way past it's when it should have been eaten and he started vomiting i mean basically i'd made i made him sick by by feeding him spoiled food and i I felt terrible about that so that's a that was a, a a bad dad moment for sure
1: but he got you back by vomiting so you know yeah it's true it's, he's, it's, he's it's covered he's covered
2: me almost sort of head to, to foot in in various i mean you know i found myself on the yeah in various kind of public toilets kind of trying to deal with 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 kind of huge diaper accidents <laughs> <laughs> so that is revenge what, of a kind what,
1: what's been the best advice you've ever received and what's been the worst advice you've
2: ever received <laughs> the best advice i ever received was definitely all the stuff that we didn't need to buy as 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 worried kind of you know first time kind of pregnant people um like I, I'm i you know there was they you know you you don't know what's coming so so your your impulse is to try and kind of prepare for every eventuality and we bought we bought a bunch of kind of rubbish that we didn't need and and the first time we tried traveling I mean I I I weep now to think all the kind of things that I thought were necessary to take with us i ended up having to kind of run down a station platform to try and catch a train carrying um so yeah the best advice is definitely is is definitely buy less newborn stuff than you you think that you will need and the worst advice yeah oh i don't i don't know i mean there's a uh yeah, I'm got I'm got I've got an immediate answer for that. So maybe we haven't really had any terrible advice.
1: You know, the person who might m- might have given you the advice might, might be listening be, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> might go. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> um thank you so much uh for for sharing today. It's it's been just giving me lots to think about about the internet and uh di- digital presences and just yeah, so much to think about. Thank you so much.
2: Good to talk you. Should, yeah, you should do this um you know you should do another another uh, season every few years so as everybody's everybody you're talking to all their children get older and they and they win and lose in various ways we can all we can all kind of swap notes thanks harry all right in case thank you
1: thank you so much for going on this journey with me in season one of the brown baby podcast thank you for all your support if you can if you can But please buy my book and the books of my guests. But also you can support us through the Acast supporter feature. I record and edit these podcasts all myself and it takes up a lot of time. Please kick me some coffee money. Thanks to Hurry for his time, to Acast and to my publisher Bluebird. See you next week for the season closer. Brown
0: baby, I am
1: brown baby. Yes, I am, I am.